Hello, Happy New Year, and you're very welcome along to the RTE Rugby Podcast this week. Neil Tracy alongside Fiona Hayes. A little bit later on in the show as well, I'll be speaking to Ireland and Leinster prop Andrew Porter. But for now, Fiona is with me. Uh, Munster assistant coach, contact and breakdown skills coach Fiona Hayes for uh, Munster ahead of the Vodafone Women's Interprovincial Series coming up starting this weekend against Ulster. Fiona, Happy New Year. How are you? How are you set for the opening round this week? Happy New Year, Neil. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's come um, very fast upon us, I suppose, with the, the AIL season kind of um, flowing through. We weren't sure about the Interpro's early days. So look, um, it's been a very, very busy Christmas training-wise and, and New Year. The girls, um, I suppose, are looking sharp because they're on the back of that um, on the back of that season, AIL season. So they've just come out of playing straight into full-on training. So it's, it's it's good. I'm looking forward to it. Now there's going to be a good standard of rugby and show, I'd imagine. Yeah, you said obviously busy Christmas training-wise and stuff like that. When when did Neve Briggs have everyone else running off the running off the track? <laughs> she just all slogging early. She'd even the coaches running off the turkey at one stage. Um no, so they, they got um Stevens Day off and it was bright and early the next morning. So there was no one um allowed to go too mad for that Munster Leinster game. There was a, a close eye in all quarters in Toman Park, but um no, look, the girls are good. They've been doing their own stuff outside as well. And you know, we trained right up until maybe two or three days before Christmas, they had a few days off and it it was straight back in with a bit of running straight away. So it's 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 been hard for them now, to be honest. Um, but they've they've been just uh, amazing and they've been training really well. Have you had any warm up games? I know um I know Ulster and and Leinster played a played a friendly there a few days ago. Yeah, no. So we didn't. We had some internal games and we had a look at, at, at players in different positions. Um, look, we we kind of decided that we'd go hard in in our own training sessions rather than get those games because it's going. As I said, it's come so quick upon us. So we'll have um Ulster probably have that knock that uh bit of you know we were we talked about the training last week that Ulster have that game under their belt now and we have to get out of the gates running nice and early. We we have we can't be having cobwebs after that Christmas hangover. And then in terms of like the. <laughs> The players you have at your disposal, I know there's like from doing Leinster's media stuff yesterday, they've a you know, they've a couple of of there are IRFU contracted players and a third Leah, Leah Tarpy who could be back if she's if she's back from a back from a calf injury. Do you have many of your your Irish players available? Yeah, so they kind of came in towards maybe just before Christmas, they were released to us. Um, so we have Enya Breen, uh, Mavog O'Leary and uh, Dorothy Wall as well um, that have come down. And um, look, they've been immense when they've come down. You can see the standard from that kind of professionalised environment that they've been training up in, in Dublin. And when they came back, they kind of really brought that um to the session and push the girls along and you could you could really see that they even the language they're using is 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 immense around the girls they're getting everyone going and they brought a great buzz down with them. And it's it's Munster and Ulster and Connacht really that that face the issue. There's so many of the of the players now just just based in Dublin with Dublin yeah. clubs living there as well. Like it is that making training and gatherings like that a little bit of a challenge where you're you know you're, you're asking players to to come down well not all players but a lot of players you're asking them to come down from from Dublin or the outskirts of Dublin a couple of times a week I'd imagine yeah absolutely there there is issues and you know it's suppose it's it's this is what it's all going to be working towards now as I said they were only released to us just before Christmas and we probably had been training early days maybe since September or during the summer we've done a few sessions so it's about building those relationships now with the RFU which I think has been really really good there's been a lot of communication and um, I suppose the girls it's laid out early days as well that um, people might make trainings with the girls and look when they get down you know the sessions are, are high tempo and intense so it's it's kind of trying to build that amongst the squad now for everyone to realize that we're in a different world and that's there's some contracted players that mightn't be able to there be able to train twice a week, but it's not that they're not training up in Dublin. But I think it's worked really well. Yeah, and then just finally the the layout of things, the way the season is going at the moment, like it's coming into a really busy period. We've got interpros, then pretty much the last weekend of the month, there we're into this Celtic Cup competition with the combined provinces, which I'm sure 
you know, every player across those four provinces in the next few weeks are going to be playing for their place on that or, you know, wanting to show themselves off. And then after that, you're into a into a Six Nations campaign. So there's a, a huge shop window for all the players coming up in the next few weeks. Yeah, and it's 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 really exciting for them all this Celtic Cup. You know, it's obviously added in kind of in the last year to the to calendar, but it just I think it's really going to push on those interpros and we're going to see the standard getting better and better because essentially, you know, the likes of Greg McWilliams and especially Briggs as well, who's involved in the coaching staff, she's there, she's seen these players in the interpros and it'd be making a big push if someone can can perform in that high tempo, intense environment they'll be making a big shove to get on that uh, Celtic Cup squad. And I think Greg has said that, you know, it's it's open. If you can if you can play really, re- really well, there's a chance that you will be seen. And who knows what will happen then when it comes to Six Nations time, if you can push yourself into games like that. Yeah, certainly <laughs> is. So it's Ulster this Saturday at Musgrave Park. What time's kickoff? Uh, I'll probably be killed. I think it's about 3.45 around that. I'll have around. to recheck on whatever great time. Get in for three down at Musgrave Park and you'll be safe anyway. That's what I'll be there nice and early just in case. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Fiona. Well, very best of luck with that. And uh, I'm sure we'll be checking in with you and uh, with Neve as well over the next few weeks on how things are going. So uh, that's the Women's Interprovincial Series getting underway. We've got Leinster against... Connox, that's on Saturday, and then Munster and Ulster as well, also on Saturday down in Musgrave Park. Um, on to things URC and probably Six Nations related at this stage because we're getting into that window. It's less than five weeks now until Ireland take on Wales in the opener in Cardiff on the the fifth of February, and we've got a Johnny Sexton injury to to worry about. It seems like an annual event now, but yeah. Johnny Sexton, obviously, as people have seen by now, he had that pretty nasty facial injury against Connacht's clash ahead with Jared Butler when he was trying to tackle the Connacht number eight and like Fiona there was a, a visible dent pretty much left on his face and Leinster confirmed as of yesterday that he's had a, a procedure on us they haven't gone into too much details on what it is or or what the timeline is but it just feels safe to assume Fiona at this stage like if we're talking a procedure on a cheekbone injury a cheekbone injury that looks pretty sore and pretty bad to be honest we're talking a four to five week window for the Six Nations. He's got to be in that kind of a time frame or bracket where he's definitely a doubt for the opening games against against Wales on the 4th of February, uh, which is the Saturday. And then seven days later, France at home uh, on the 11th. Yeah, you would imagine that they definitely have to be planning ahead. You know, obviously you'll have that week off then that might change things around, but you would be imagining that Andy Farrell is definitely looking at where he's going to go now with his, his starting 10 and who he's going to have on the bench because I, I, I'm sure the, the medical staff obviously have contact, contacted Andy Farrell and he knows probably more detail about the, the timeline, but with an injury such as that, you know, it's very hard. Obviously, he can trail on his feet and he can do all that type of training, but he wouldn't be able to do full contact at all, as we know, with a facial injury. So I would imagine that he'll be kind of there, thereabouts in camp, but probably won't see him for the first two games. It obviously then brings up the question, there's a number 10 jersey and there's a number 22 jersey to fill out. For Well, likely there will be for those opening two games. Who's going to be wearing them? <laughs> that's the have we been talking about this I think every yeah. uh, every time there's a Johnny injury um I think if he's injury free the way Farrell has been doing his business and naming squads I think you're, you're going to probably see Carberry as the starter um he's had a couple of good games with Munster hasn't had an excellent game I don't think um we haven't seen him fully back to back in the day you know himself um probably the game against uh, Leinster he might have actually gotten a bit I thought he played a bit deep you know um, which was unusual for him I thought he'd been mixing up his game where he's playing on the game line he looks to be playing a bit deeper and it probably wasn't his best game confidence wise but I, I, I would imagine that he'll be up at camp and he'll be um, Andy Farrell will be trying to build his confidence up to give him that start in Jersey against Wales as well which is a good game to kick it off it was, if it was against France I know he's played started against France before but if it was against France it might be a different ball game but I think we'll see Joey there and then you're looking at the battle of uh, I suppose it's either Ross Byrne I think or, or Crowley and Ross Byrne with that kick for Ireland has really kind of stamped and shown what he can do from the boot and that's someone you would like to have on the bench as well. Yeah and I, there's there's a thing with Ross Byrne where 
I think the closer you get to a World Cup as well. And three, you know, three, three and a half years ago, Ross Byrne, he wasn't the, you know, he's he's not the he's not the shiny option. He's not the the really, really tempting player that kind of just sucks you in. He's a very, very reliable, durable player. But the, the thing with a player like that is the closer you get to a World Cup, all of a sudden you look at that and you think a guy that can play every single week and is probably going to put in your your seven and a half out of 10 performance and you can kind of absolutely rely on him. He becomes very, very tempting as an option the closer you get to a World Cup, doesn't he? Well, yeah, absolutely. And that's what you play, have to work Like the, the New Year's Day, sorry to interrupt, the New Year's Day game against Connacht, for example, uh, Leinster and Connacht, like that was the first... The first night off he was given all season. It, he, he wasn't even injured. You know, he was available to play if needed. But obviously, Leo Collins decided he'd he'd have Johnny Sexton starting because he'd he'd rest him the week before. And, and Harry Byrne obviously needed a bit, of, a bit of game time. So they're in a position where they can actually rest Ross Byrne, who's played every single game so far this season. And, you know, he's going to be back this weekend. He's probably going to be starting against the Ospreys. He's just a, a very, very reliable and durable option. And you know what you're going to get out of him. Exactly. You know what you want to get. Um, you know, a lot of I suppose a lot of excellent players would have, you know, argued in the past that, you know, when you're training with him, when you're around him, you see exactly what he can do. And they don't understand, I suppose, um, why he isn't valued as much by by Farrell. But as an international coach, you know, you want someone to bring, I suppose, that bit of a bit of a lightning or someone that can we know what Ross Byrne can do, you know, and he, he he has an excellent game management. He plays he plays the game. He plays excellently with Leinster. We see it week in, week out. We know Leo Cullen obviously has, you know, um, a lot of respect for him and gives him that starting jersey. And um, when, when his brother comes on, they, they actually work really well together. But I, I just think when you're coming up to World Cup, and especially in the Six Nations, his kicking game is what's invaluable to Ireland. And when you when you get to those tight games, we saw he done it. He's almost there's no pressure on his shoulders when he comes off the bench, and he needs to nail those kicks. And I think Six Nations times we will see a lot. Ireland probably taking a lot of those um going for post when they're in those big games against at home, especially against France and England, and a player like that to come on with a confidence because he's playing confidently at at Leinster would be just you know what exactly what Farrell needs. But if we're thinking that Joey Carberry's probably favourite to be starting against Cardiff if Johnny Sexton's around. Would you think 22 is going to be Ross Byrne or is it Jack Crowley? I think he's probably, he might change it up. It, it depends. But I think definitely in those two opening games, I would imagine he's going to go with Ross Byrne, especially the France game. Um, He he probably, we've seen Crowley, you know, he's he's gone back to, to Munster. He hasn't probably got as much game time as as far I would have liked to see a 10. We saw him in a 12 a couple of times. So he's going to look at that when picking his squads. Ross Byrne is playing week in, week out. And I think to have that reliable guy on the bench is what Andy Farrell will be looking at. Now, also, he's looking at the World Cup ahead. So he might want to, you you might even see Carberry, maybe Carberry could be on the bench and Crowley starting that first game. You just wouldn't know. He might want to try up these things and it's the perfect it's the perfect time to put these guys in the cauldron and see are they up to that um you know and that's what's going to happen in a world cup if, if johnny gets injured or god forbid he doesn't even make the world cup on on crowley then like we've seen him play at, at 12 a few times in the in the last few weeks now um but just jumping out like it was his little that little break up the middle against yeah. ulster which absolutely flipped that game on its head and i think we can could probably safely say Munster were were not going to get up. Like they needed some little kind of a burst like that to get their way up the pitch, and and it was he that provided it. And I know it was it was Ben Healy that finished it. But but Crowley just seems to be continuing on that vein of form all season, where the confidence just seems to be building week on week. He had a couple of weeks playing in the center where like there were difficult matchups for him and things like that. Particularly the Northampton game, it was an awful day for him to be trying in there and. You know, a couple of things didn't work out for him, but it hasn't knocked the confidence in any way. No, and and he's he's really exciting. I mean, I personally, I just I love watching him at a ten. It, that's exactly. I mean, he looks. You can see him. He's constantly thinking ahead. He's wondering what he can do with the ball. Um, sometimes maybe he's kicking game from hand. Um, at ten might be a hundred percent up to scratch, but it's only playing these big games, getting them in there. He gets a feel for when it's when it's on and when it's not on to kick. 
Um, he's definitely done some lovely dinks over the top and I just think he's really creative. He's really, really good footwork and he's added, I suppose, to Munster. And he just, when he's playing at 10, I think we, we've seen a lot more go forward ball. Maybe, as I said, Joey sometimes been playing behind the gain line and, and you know, it's 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 not it's not kind of go forward ball. But it seems like Crowley's getting that out of the forwards. He's getting them on the gain line. It's that kind of attacking style. I do, I do think obviously he's not as that's why he's saying about Ross Byrne. He hasn't got as many minutes as ten as as maybe Farrell would like to think. But he just offers so much. His footwork around, his confidence, everything about him is is screaming up and coming. Tim, he just needs to be in there playing a little bit more game time to be at that level for international. And then another ten who, it seems, might be going a different way altogether in terms of Ireland ambitions. Ben Healy. So yeah. it's something that we've been probably been talking about for a couple of years now, the prospect of him going over to, to Scotland. He's Scottish qualified. Uh, and, you know, they've been sniffing around him for a couple of years. You know, it's this is probably the third season in a row where it's happened, where we've had these these conversations. And Edinburgh's director of rugby, Mike Blair, he's come out in the last day or so and said, you know, he is someone they're looking at. They are interested in him. Graham Rowntree, for example, last week said that Monster have a job in their hands to keep yeah. him. It probably was inevitable that something like this was going to be happening when you had three out halves at Munster who were all in a good age profile. Joey Carberry's re- like still in the prime age wise, kind of mid mid late twenties. You've got Jack Crowley and Ben Healy who are both early twenties, and obviously, it it it's always been hard to see Munster being able to keep all three of them long term. Yeah, definitely, and I suppose when you look Neil this year as well. You probably would say he's like Healy, haven't done very much, not much wrong, has kind of probably has just nipped ahead of him in the pecking order, um, especially with that uh, emerging Ireland and stuff. So, you know, it's when you're looking at that. So I think he obviously would have been adamant, I'm going to stay, I'm going to fight for my place, I'm, I'm second in line to Joey, there is a chance I could get a call up. And I suppose when that happens to a player, it, it's, very, it's going to be very hard to hold on to that player. Um, he obviously has stated before that he he does like he has Irish ambitions, but you also want to play at an international level. You want to be going to these World Cups. You want to be playing Six Nations, and it's been three seasons now where he's been chased. And I suppose he hasn't fulfilled that Irish dream. Whereas they're probably you know as we say over here, plumosing him over in Scotland and and telling him we can get you this and we and we'll get you on the pitch. And it seems like he would be a very good fit to their system. Um, I was just thinking, and I was just saying it to you earlier that you know it would you you would wonder if there would be anything on Andy Farrell if he might even call him up to camp, um, you know, pre Six Nations to see get him into that training panel and see if he can you know show him or chat him, try and get him to stay in the country because injury wise you just don't know what's going to happen, especially at ten. We've seen we've had tournaments where two tens have been out wiped out one game, so it's like it is a waiting game, but it also could be your career could be over and you never might even have a, a an international cap. So it's something he's going to have to think hard and long about. But it it would be a real shame to lose a player like that. I saw him down in that monster game as well. Um, Neil and against South Africa down in Cork and I just thought he was really really good he controlled the game he, his kicking was brilliant and then to just have not very many minutes with Munster to come on last week and, and score 10 points in, in what 7 minutes and pressure free and just look like a, a natural 10 when he was in there also Yeah it was a big moment for him it would be interesting if, if the thought crossed Andy Farrell's mind of just you know maybe dangling a cap above his head over the next uh over the next month or so. But look, we'll see how that all plays out. Um it see it seems this is the closest or the longest legs that the, the story has had for, for a few years. But look, we're gonna have to wait and see on that one. On on Munster though, and then Munster and Ulster Ulster game. So it was Healy's try and conversion in the last uh last minute that ultimately won it. We've we've spoken so much in the last few months about game plan with Munster and you know getting used to a new system and attacking formats and all this sort of stuff but how important is it for a team's development to just like to just snatch a win like that that to to win a game that they'd absolutely no right to win as much as as much as like learning you know learning these new systems is great and all that like there's so much to be said for just a smash and grab victory 
that's it. And you know what? I think that's what the fans wanted as well, Neil. Um, I, even in chatting to people, you know, about the the few games against uh, against Leinster, oh, it was so close. Um, we saw the two lose game as well. Oh, you know, you could have won here. I think this was absolutely huge for the fans and especially for the team. Watching that coaching staff in the box, you know, after the final whistle went, they were absolutely ecstatic, hugging each other. It was pressure off because it's those physical games that you shouldn't win. Munster used to win with successful teams. That's when it was those games they were winning and grinding out those victories. And we hadn't seen that side yet. Yeah, we'd seen their game plan and their attacking style and it was building every week. But we hadn't seen when it got to that cauldron. And especially up in, in Kingspan Stadium, it's not an easy place to go and win a game like that. So I think it was massive and it was huge for the players as well. And then just the other part of it as well is doing it without Peter O'Mahony, Tyg Byrne, even Craig Casey at this stage and Joey Carberry, the more experienced internationals and probably leaders in the group. Whereas if you look at the Ulster squad, they had obviously mapped things out. They had a, a far stronger squad on paper than Munster were able to put out. And it was something that was kind of put to Munster early on in the season that they weren't doing it when those big players were away, that they were, you know, where were the, the kind of the middle, the middle tier players, where were the leaders yeah. in that group? I think a game like that on, on New Year's Day is enormous for them as well, that they've had to step up and kind of grab a game by the scruff of the neck when the usual suspects like Peter Romani and Tyg Byrne aren't around to do it. Yeah, that was it. And I thought, you know, Jack O'Donoghue had been quiet at times this season, but I thought he absolutely put his hand up for Munster, especially catching that kick from the restart, you know, was behind him. It was just the players you could see, the ones you could, that they were, they just ground deep for one another. You know, they put phases and phases together. It was washed near the, the last, maybe after that Ulster try, maybe 67 minutes, you look, you thought they're not good. These players aren't going to come back from that but they absolutely stuck in it, 100% were with each other, and it was huge for them to be able to come up with those big moments and have line-out accuracy, and everything just seemed to, to go to plan, but it's the character of these players, and especially in the pack, I thought that they really stood up and took control without the big names, as you said. And then the flip side is Ulster, and just what is going on with them at the moment. It's It's incredible to think that, you know, 35 minutes into their game against Leinster, it was 21 points to three at the start of December and just the free fall they've been on since. I know they won at Connacht, but they nearly threw that one away as well in the end and nearly gave up a, gave up a draw. But it's just last season, and this was something we spoke about last week as well, that yeah. last, last season giving up leads in games was becoming a really, really bad habit for them. And, they, and it looked at the start of this season like yeah. they'd shaken that off a little bit. They'd found themselves in a couple of situations where they were in comfortable leads and and put the foot down on the throat and just hammered it ha- hammered it home in the final quarter of a game. But saw it against Connacht a couple of weeks ago where they nearly threw it away and then against Munster to give that up. Like when Balakoon scored that try in the middle of the second half, they looked yeah. they looked comfortable. They were by far the better team at that stage in the game. They had the better players on the pitch yeah. and it looked for all the world like they were going to see it out. And I just think of all the heavy of the heavier defeats they've had in the last few weeks, that this is the one that has the potential to do the most damage, given the the psychological blow of it all and and, and the fact that they really, really just threw it away and they were in complete control. Yeah, that one's definitely, it's definitely got to hurt, I suppose, as well, having go, gone down and won in Toman Park to be at home with the, as you said, the players they had on the pitch, Henderson, Threadwell, they had, they had their big heavy hitters out there and Definitely watching it 67 minutes after that Balakoon try, you thought, look, they're in complete control. There's no one going to come back there. You just would have to question the mentality. You know, early in the season, I had questioned their defence at times. I thought, um, especially at wide, they were, I, I felt like they were really narrow, but I thought physically they fronted up in this game. I think the back row had maybe 120 maybe combined tackles between them. It was absolutely immense, like it was through the roof. And I thought the narrow defence was quite good. But even even you spoke about Crowley's line break at that time of the game. I mean, he just stepped around five, six players. And and obviously it was brilliant footwork and an excellent from Crowley. But as, as a coach for Ulster, you have to be wondering what is going on out there and especially in those wider channels defensively they seem to be leaking leaking meters and leaking gain line out there this is 
is going to be huge for them, but it can also be the game that they, they have to sit down and question and say, you know, Dan McFarland is gonna is gonna want to chat about it because after every game as a coach, you might leave it slide for a couple of games. And we talked about their mentality as well in the past, especially, you know, in that Toulouse game, you know, they they they, they weren't seen to be winning these big games. And I think it's definitely something they're gonna to have to look at because they started the season excellently, but it's just seemed to these big big wins aren't coming anymore and they've got the players on the pitch that are, that are in form as well, that are playing well for Ireland and playing well at other times. And the victory obviously coming at a cost then as well, Marty Moore picking up yeah. what looks like being a, a pretty bad knee injury. He looks in a lot of trouble. They, they haven't given a timeline on, timeline on it, but they have said it's a it's a significant injury that he's going to be having a scan on. Um. As, as much a blow for Ulster is it, but a huge blow for the player as well because he's been in excellent form for a year or so now and had had got half a foot back in the door with Ireland mm. over the last few months um, and, you know, had been involved in the A game. It certainly felt like he was an outside shot of potentially sneaking back into a World Cup squad after a long exile from, from Test Rugby. So just a huge blow for him as much as it is for Ulster. Yeah, massive. And I remember watching the the match and seeing him down on the ground. And that's exactly what's running through my mind. How I, you know, he's gone about his business quietly. He obviously was out of form. He left, he went up to Ulster. He he had a couple of injuries, but he's just been playing really, really well. Um, obviously his carries have been good, but his scrummaging has come on massively. He's, you know, Ulster at times in the past, maybe on that on the tight head side might have have lost a few meters, but he's been he's just been so good. And for a player that's been kind of knocking on the door, and we know going into a World Cup, there's extended squads, there could be injuries, and he could he was definitely someone in that position that could potentially have gotten a, a late call up even. So it's it's absolutely heartbreaking for him. Yeah, it really is. And uh, best wishes to him on on his uh, road to recovery. Moving back to to Leinster and Connacht, um, and more so on on Connacht. I was I was doing that game on on Sunday evening. And it was just alarming at times the the game plan of Connacht. Like last season, we had a we were looking at a team that had this fast, relentless, adaptable motto. They were absolutely thrilling to watch every single week. And it seems this season they've become a side. Okay, their defense is a lot better. I know they shipped forty one points the other night, but the game just kind of got away from them in the second half. Um, defense has been better. Set piece has been really, really good. They absolutely took Leinster's line out apart in the opening half, and their scrum was perfectly solid all game. But it seems as if every single time they get the ball now in their own half, they have no other thought other than kicking it miles down the pitch. And it's not even there isn't a good kick chase to go along with it. They're not pinning them in down into corners. They're not getting the ball into touch. It just seems kicking it down the pitch. And hoping the other team are going to make a mistake with it. And Leinster aren't going to do that. I was looking at the... I was doing commentary last week, so I was looking at the stats. And even these are the the updated ones. If you look at the the most kicks in play <clears throat> from any player in the URC this season, Jack Carty on 116, you have to go all the way down to 77 for the second player on that list. That's more than more than a 50% jump on top of Thomas Williams, what Jack Carty is. He's kicked for 4,432 metres in the league so far this season. Second place is Jordan Hendricks with 2,700. A 1,700 gap between first and second in kicking metres. And, okay, if if it was working, you'd be inclined yeah. to say, okay, fair enough, do it again. If there was an excellent kick chase to go with it. But they don't seem to be getting anything from this kicking game and they just seem to be going with it constantly and constantly and constantly. And then on the flip side, when they got into dangerous positions against Leinster, they looked really, really good. They were threatening them. They were getting decent kind of gain line success. I thought Dara Murray was really, really good, as was his brother Niall in the second row as well. And they were really threatening and scored two very, very nice tries off the back of it as well. But it just felt like the the, the aimlessness of some of their, their attacking play, particularly in their own half, was just was just incredible. Yeah, and especially this game, I think, Neil, when I watched it, I couldn't, it, like, even, uh, you spoke about Carty's kicking metres, but there was absolutely no chance of even collecting the ball again on 90% of their kicks. I think he 29 kicks from hand in the game, um, and I would say probably they recovered zero of those, I would imagine, almost, you know what I mean? Obviously, like there is a game plan there. You presume he's going on the coaching game plan. I can't understand it. 
Um, I've seen it in the last couple of games. The kick chase, you, you'd review games and you'd probably look back at your kick chase if that's what you want to do. If you want to kick to the opposition and you want probably them to kick back to you, you would imagine if they're going that deep, it's it's that they want them to kick back to them, but it's not happening. And especially that Leinster back three, any Leinster back three at the minute, you you wouldn't want to be kicking the ball to them because they're not recovering. So I, I, I just can't see it. And I think it's actually affected his game as well. Um, if you talk about, you know, Jack Carty in the last couple of seasons, we've been to, we've we've had him in the mix when we're looking at those tens. We've been talking about, you know, Ross Byrne, why isn't Jack Carty getting up there? He's he's playing immensely for Connacht. Um, I haven't even thought about it this season because I've watched all Connacht's games and I'm I'm just wondering what he's doing. Um, where the ball, you know, if he's looking for these 50-22s, it's not happening. He's probably got maybe three, four max. Um, so it's it's not even that. It's 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 high up in the air trying to recover these, and it's 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 very deep. And you know, even he looks, he doesn't look as confident as he was because obviously they're returning that ball, and we saw with one of the Leinster tries as well, he lost his footing. So I I think the way and the style Connors are playing at the minute is actually affecting him as a player as well. I presume he's been told to kick that much. You know, you wouldn't be having 50% higher than any other team unless that was in the game plan. Yeah, and, and I would assume as well that the plan is to kick deep. I I wouldn't say, for example, that he's trying to put up contestables and they're all going 25 yards beyond the target. But what what you'd kind of wonder is why are you kicking so deep into a Leinster backfield of of Jimmy O'Brien, Jordan Larmer and, uh, and Rob Russell, who seem perfectly capable like I know a lot of the time that the plan if you're doing that is you know you're trying to suck them into to rush them into a poor clearance kick or to you might consider that you've got a, an excellent kind of a counter ruck game you might want mm. to run back at you in, and kind of loosen things up and, and try win turnovers off the back of it but you know Jimmy O'Brien isn't going to be struggling to find touch if you give him five or six seconds to find it and and likewise Jordan Larmer is going to be more than comfortable running a ball back to you so it's even the it's it it's the selection of of the kicks that they're that they're taking on is 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 uh is what I just find so confusing. But anyway, this go ahead, sorry. No, I was just saying even on that need as well. Even if that was your scenario, you started the game like that. I'm also wondering why halfway through the game it's not working or why the message doesn't go on. Let's change that up. I just felt in that Leinster game, it was it was the same recycled kicks over and over again. It wasn't working and there was no change in their game plan around that kicking game. Yeah, it's going to be interesting <laughs> to see what happens with the Sharks this weekend because one thing for Connacht, they just absolutely have to start winning games and then they start winning games quickly now. They're down in 13th position off the back of the Ospreys winning the other day. They're eight points back from the top eight. But a win against the Sharks and all of a sudden they're right back in the mix again. Now, what's going to happen this weekend against the Sharks. It's actually really, really tough to to predict mm. at the moment because I've been looking around. I haven't seen a, a list of the Sharks that have travelled over to, to Galway, for example. So, you know, they've got Champions Cup games coming up. They might be viewing this as an opportunity to rest someone like Ibn Etzebet, Sia Khaleesi, a lot, you know, Bongi and Banambi. They're, they're yeah. big Springbok stars who really haven't had much of a rest at all for 18 months now. They've pretty much been in a a continuous loop of a season for more than more than a full year now. So if they are rested and they are left back home, it opens the door for Connacht. And I think they've got a really, really good shot, particularly at home of, uh, of, of beating the Sharks. But obviously if the likes of even Etzebeth and them travel, it, it could be a long afternoon. Yeah, it could. And I, I would imagine I was thinking the exact same that they probably will leave these guys at home, especially with Champions Cup coming up. But you just you just don't know what's going to happen. I know Connacht are probably have Bundyaki and maybe Mac Hansen back as well. And um, these guys obviously know there's a Six Nations coming up as well. So they're going to be looking to try and get into a bit of form as well. But look, it could be a, a very long afternoon. But I think this kind of team are capable. And we saw it in glimpses against against Leinster at times with their attacking game and as you said their set pieces probably we talked about it last year and guys coming off the bench and you know they didn't have that impact off the bench and now they they have all that but it just doesn't seem to be to be connecting and their defensive system is much better as well um you know Cully's done great work there as well but for some reason it, it, it's not connecting and I, and I think there's a big change in the back three and how they're counter-attacking with Connacht as well, they don't seem to be getting the game line or the line breaks that they used to. Um, even in that Leinster game, I looked. I think they'd 
they kind of had two offloads. Last season, we would have seen a lot more than that. So maybe defensively, they've cut down, you know, trying to turn over the ball and that's affected their attacking game as well a little bit. But look, they have the capabilities there. It's just it's just where they are in the, in the standings. And I looked at that as well after the game. I wasn't, I didn't realise they were so far down and they're going to have to start getting a few wins under their bag. And the best place they can win, is, I suppose, is at home. They put out massive performances and they've done it. Even if the Sharks did bring over the big guns, they have the ability to do that in the sports ground. They can shock teams massively and it needs to start happening for kind of this season or there'll be no Champions, or Champions Cup. They'll be in the Challenge Cup. Yeah, so that's... Uh... Connacht against the Sharks 5.15 this Saturday evening at the Sports Ground live coverage in RT2 and RT player of that as well the other fixtures this weekend Munster against the Lions three games in 12 days for Munster that's a tough one 7.35pm Friday night at Musgrave Park against the Lions Benetton hosting Ulster at 1 o'clock on Saturday afternoon and then the final game of the weekend is in uh, Swansea Ospreys versus Leinster that kicks off at 7.35 on Saturday evening. Fiona, thanks a million for joining us. Best of luck this weekend in the first game of the Interpro Series. Great stuff. Thanks, Neil. I'll be at the Monster game on Friday and then I'll be going back again for my own game Saturday. Can't wait. Very good. That's Fiona Hayes. And coming up next, we'll be speaking to Ireland International Andrew Porter. And you're very welcome back to the RTE Rugby Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined now by Ireland and Leinster prop Andrew Porter. Andrew, Happy New Year. Thanks a million for joining us on the pod. Thanks very much, Neil. Happy New Year. You all well? I'm very, very good. I'm very good. You're you're here, Andrew, today on behalf of the, the Tackle Your Feelings Schools programme. You've been involved with Tackle Your Feelings for a while now. And obviously, coming in off the back of the, the Christmas and New Year period, it's it's probably a pertinent time to be talking about that. It's a, you know, it's a time when a lot of people around the country be feeling particularly vulnerable, but this is something that obviously has been close to your heart for a long time. Yeah, definitely. Like it's, it's, it's such an incredible initiative to be part of. And uh, it's definitely something that's, it's, it's affected me in the past in in terms of my, my own mental health. But it's like I said, it's an incredible initiative and to be a part of something like this to to be able to help so many people. I think it's had maybe nearly twenty five million hits since since its uh, start in twenty sixteen. So it shows how how kind of valuable it is to people and and how much it's grown and how much this this whole conversation about mental health is is grown as well and, and how much pe- more I think people are getting more and more comfortable to talk about their mental health and their mental well-being. And I think that's, it's it, the app, which is, which is free on the app store, by the way, for people to download and, and the Google. And um, it's, it's an incredible way for people to, to help manage their own mental health and to kind of, to figure out why, why am I having a bad day? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? So it's, it's incredibly empowering for people to be able to, to to grasp to get a grasp of their own kind of emotions and and to understand why they might be feeling the way they're feeling, and tackle your feelings is something that's been around for a few years now. But in the last few months, the the school side is is a part that you've really focused in on. From your yeah, own personal yeah. point of view, that must be a very kind of empowering thing, a very kind of a heartwarming thing to to focus. Yeah, in. yeah. Because that's when that's when you experience your you know your tough times when you were you know sixth class or secondary school. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's 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 incredible kind of seeing the work the TYF schools program is doing. It's getting both getting that conversation about mental health started amongst younger people and, and just letting them know it's not like talking about mental health is a strength, not a weakness. It's and kind of teach them how to deal with it with day to day kind of challenges, whether it be schoolwork, it be stuff at home, whether I know like social media plays such a big part in people's lives nowadays and how much it can it can affect people's mental well being. But like it definitely it would have helped me, I think, understand and be able to kind of open myself um back when I was kind of going through tough times back when I was in first and second year. Like it would have it would have definitely been hugely beneficial to me, uh, if it was available to me back then. But um then again, I also had a, a great support network of family and friends around me, but I just 
I never, I never, it, it was like, I felt like I was on my own, even though I had a great support network of people, network of people who were more than willing to, to help me out and to talk to me. I think I, I was just like, oh, I don't want these people to, to carry the burden that I'm carrying. I don't want to show my, my problems off on someone else. So it's, um, I think that conversation about mental health and kind of being able to kind of unburden yourself is is becoming a lot more normalized and the, the whole stigma around it is 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 kind of it's it's dissipating but it's I think it still lingers a small bit but I think the more and more people are talking about mental health which the attack your feelings schools program allows people to do it's it's incredible and you, you mentioned the, your support network there and in the in the video that you released today, you obviously speak about it a bit more like your dad and your your sisters and your fiance and even even your dog as well. Yeah. Um, you obviously had a, a big moment in the last couple of weeks, like your your 100th game for Leinster on St. Stephen's Day down in Tolman Park against Munster. Did you have did you have many of that support network, many of the family and friends get down to to see you hit that mark? Yeah, yeah. My family came down for the for the big day, and I had all a load of family and friends watching from from all over the country, and it was it's it, it was an incredible day. Like it's like I'm, I try not to build, I try not to build it up too much for myself, just so keep my nerves kind of at bay. But like it's it's incredible, kind of how how they've kind of amounted over the last couple of years. Like I remember my first cap, like it was yesterday. I remember against Treviso and coming on with Mike Ross in the front row when I was, I was a loose head. Then, then obviously I switched it high and now I'm back to loose head. So I got full circle with that. But yeah, like it's, it's incredible. The experiences I've gained and the, the ups and downs of, uh, of the game that I've experienced um, over the years uh, and hopefully many more to come. Yeah, only another hundred and eighty odd to to pass out Devin Toner, I think. Yeah, is it? <laughs> yeah, but, we talked over to me, but you've had a busy period. Like I'm looking back, you've played twelve matches already this season, which is probably more than you probably would most seasons at this point, including coming on 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 New Year's Day. There, I presume you're on a. Are you on a bit of a down week at the moment? Are you getting a bit of a rest? Nah, there's no risk for the weekend. Uh, like yeah, it's like I was involved over the over the Christmas period, but look, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I was I was more than happy to be involved every game. I, I'm such I'm such pride and I'm so privileged to be part of such a group because, um, you obviously you obviously know of James Tracy, who unfortunately had to retire retire recently. So you you can't take for granted what you're doing. You can't like this. I'm so lucky to be playing this game, and and you don't know when your last game is going to be like that's in it really put into into perspective how grateful I am to be doing what I'm doing and to and you never know when the, when the, you're you're going to step on the field for that last time and step on that training pitch for the last time so any game I play I'm I'm so grateful to play and be a part of because it's it's a it's a it's a tricky sport like you it's given the you know the risks that are involved in it like i said yeah you couldn't be stepping on that pitch for the last time so you have to savor every minute of it and you're coming into obviously a, a huge year both for leinster and and for ireland as well like the world cup uh in september how how much excitement do you have like you know ticking over the calendar from 2022 and all of a sudden 2023 is there in front of you and like naturally I, I presume the mind kind of drifts a little bit out towards the World Cup and the things you hope could happen over the course of the next 12 months. Yeah, like that's that's the thing you have to kind of, you have to try not let it happen. You have to try kind of keep your mind from wandering too much and kind of focus on, focus on the present and not let kind of what's happening further down the road kind of take over. So you have to, like we have two huge, well, there's a huge game against Ospreys this week and then two huge games in Europe and then the, week, the two weeks after. So, and then we're into six nations. Hopefully, need to get selected for that first. But um, yeah, it's, it's a huge couple of months for uh, for Leinster and for for Ireland as well. But uh, yeah, like I'm I'm very much in the mindset of trying to focus 
short term and then we'll we'll see what happens then we'll see what happens down the road so so not looking too far down the road yet yeah no we won't on a personal note level though like i mean if you to look back in your career you know, you're you're 26 now and you're kind of an established senior player both with leinster and with and with ireland if you look back on 4 years ago coming into 2019 when obviously it's you know you're hoping to make a world cup squad and you're a relative rookie in in the Ireland camp and things like that. How much do you think you've changed as a player and a person over those four years? Yeah, I think it's definitely something that you like. Your experiences um really shape who you are and who you become. Like uh, it's definitely something that you constantly have to work on mentally. Like in terms of um how things can affect you, obviously. Like you said, I was relatively kind of inexperienced maybe when I was in, in 2019 coming into that World Cup. But given the experiences I've had with Ireland and Leinster and given the kind of experience I've had through injury, which has kind of opened my mind up to new things. Like It, it was only when I broke my foot before, uh, before the Lions tour where that's where I made the decision to switch back to loose heads. So... I think everything, everything really kind of everything happens for a reason in that sense, and uh, it's it's really kind of it's it's definitely kind of my pers- I wouldn't say my persona, but my my kind of my outlook and my I think my personality has changed in terms of my uh, my growth. I'm always looking to improve, like a, a, like my our coaches always talk about a growth mindset and kind of constantly evolving and constantly trying to get better. So that's that's really what I'm trying to do. I also thought that was a great flex, getting selected for the lines as a tight end and then saying, ah, I'm done with that now. I'll go over and <laughs> I'll go over and play loose. But you've been you've been back on you've been back on that side of the scrum now for 18 months or so. How are you how are you finding things now? I remember you were speaking to the media just before the the Autumn Nation series and you said you were starting to you know, get to grips with it a little bit again. How, are you are you enjoying being back over there? Are you, are you feeling more comfortable with the the scrumming and the technical side of things? Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's it's that's the thing when you're when you're a prop. Like you're always constantly challenged by by kind of by new things. Like because you're always coming up against uh, completely different uh, style of scrummager in, in a tie head or a different pack or something like that or like it's it's something you constantly have to work on. It's it's a, it's a constant learning thing. Like there's never a never a dull moment when you're a prop. Like you're always a you're constantly learning. Like it's it's like if I compare myself myself and like Jemison Gibson Park, like we're playing two different sports, lad. We're playing. It's like we're playing two different sports. It's like he's a distance runner and I'm some strong man trying to shift a crook or something like that. But like. It's yeah, it's 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 really kind of it's it's definitely like it's definitely learn constantly learning from from your training. Obviously, we have incredible players in, in Leinster and Ireland that you can learn from, and then obviously learn from your from your games and everything like that as well. So, you, you try bring your tight head experiences back to us, as in if you know you're obviously you're trying to think well, well, what when I was a tight head, what are the things I did not want a loose head doing to me? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I think that's. How it kind of benefited me in a, in a, in a way of going to switch it back. You just like, oh, what did I hate? What did I lose it and do? What did I hate? like? Uh, yeah, like it really kind of it's those experiences and those kind of learnings that really shape your uh, shape you as a player. Um, there were a couple of difficult days, but at last year, you know, the the Leinster and Ireland scrum, there were just a couple of games when. The opposition got on top of you. Were there ever moments in the last year or so where you did wonder, did you make the right decision switching across? Yeah, like you always have, like kind of, you're always going to have that lingering kind of doubt sometimes if things aren't going your way. Like you're always going to have that kind of voice in the back of your head saying, "Oh, geez, what like what's going on? Why could like why can't I fix this?" And then and then like here, look, then you just sit down with your your teammates, your coaches. You can you can literally leave no stone unturned and then you can find the root of the problem fairly quick then when you when you actually figure out something something's something's not right and it could be uh, it could be a tiny little fix up it could be something so small in terms of a 
like an angle or like how high you are on your hooker or something like that. Like in in a technical, if, if you're getting technical or anything, but like it's sometimes like even a small change can make just a huge difference. And I think that's goes for a lot in life, not just in rugby. I think small changes in whatever you're doing can make a huge difference to what, uh, your life as a whole. Yeah, I think pe- yeah. people underestimate the the front rows. They might be big and burly, but they're the biggest nerds out there at the end of the, the day. Biggest nerds, we're and we're very small little, mostly, angles, small little we're very emotionally intelligent people. We're very, we're like, what's the way to describe us? I wouldn't know. I hear look, some people might be able to describe it better than I would, but <laughs> I've been told we're very emotionally intelligent people. Final, fi- final question for me. With both Leinster and Ireland, the kind of standards have been set so high in in recent years that, like even with Leinster, for example, it's thirteen games out of thirteen so far this season, and ultimately, you're still just going to be judged on what happens in in May or June. How do you how do you kind of deal with that pressure? And similarly, from an Ireland point of view, that you know whatever happens in the Six Nations, people will still be thinking, okay, well, it's it's all about September and October. How do you deal yeah, with well, that kind of pressure? Well, that's the thing, really, like. It- all this unbeaten run with Leinster and Ireland mean nothing if we don't end up with silverware because that's that's what you're playing for at the end at the end of the day is you're playing playing for that fifth star in in, in Europe with Leinster you're playing for that Six Nations Championship you're playing for and then on you're playing for the URC title and then you're also playing ultimately at the end of the year for the for a World Cup so that's that's all that really matters, like it's when it comes down to it at this level, well, like winning is what matters, and that's that's what you are judged on. Um, but I think it's it's what you do in the in the season really helps build momentum into the into the business end of the season as well. So, like that's 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 why it's incredibly um, we'll take great confidence from from our past performances and and how we're going at the moment and we'll keep carrying that throughout the season into the business end of the season if you know what I mean yeah certainly do Andrew thanks a million for joining us and uh, happy new year very best luck with the rest of the season thanks very much Leo. take care Andy